0: Thank you, Pastor Scott. such a privilege and an honor to be with you all. I didn't know we visited twice in the previous month, um, once just to see our son play drums, um, and another time because my parents were in town and they'd never seen him play except at holidays when the whole house would shake when he was in the basement. And we go, no, he he does worship stuff now. And so they wanted to come see and I had no idea that a couple weeks later I would have the privilege of speaking with you all, just uh, such wonderful memories of the faithfulness of your leaders and the seasons of obedience they've had so that we could gather here uh, in the pleasure of the Lord as his family, as his kids, and to experience his best. There's such a grace on the vintage family on this gathering. I. Um, have the privilege of travel. I travel almost full-time in ministry, so when we say we have a home church, that means I sometimes get to visit my home church once every one or two months on a weekend. And so to be visiting with you all three times in two months is is something special for us. Um, So thankful for Pastor Steve and Randall, for the Hambrick family, been praying daily for their time away, for the refreshing and Strengthening, And their, their 10 years or whatever it is of, of faithfully trusting, obeying, serving, loving, uh, making a place for God's people, for God's purposes. And we get to be a part of it. I appreciate the leaders. I'm guessing some other people had to agree to have me here that might not have known me. Uh, and uh, thank you. My better half, Hope, mi esposa esperanza, mi corazón, uh, she's, uh, she is the gift in my life. Of Grace and wisdom and has blessed me in so many ways. You'll have opportunities to meet her. Um, Our son, Simeon, is our baby boy. We have uh, two married children. Um, Samuel has been the interim pastor, a college pastor at Riverstone, where we've attended for an extended season. Um, His wife, Hannah, dances there, works at KSU in the dance department. Uh, Our daughter, Alexis, is married to Riley up in Woodstock, Holly Springs. She is pregnant uh, with our second grandchild due this week, Thanksgiving blessings. So you may hear some more about that. Uh, our ministry, 2020 Vision, uh, we do travel ministry, teaching, training, consulting, coaching. Uh, but my favorite thing to do is to join with pastors in local churches to serve in the family of God. So this morning, it's uh, my opportunity to speak on the conclusion of James. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20. Uh, I texted Pastor Steve when he sent me this text and said, would you please just cover the end of this? And I said, well, usually you don't give a preacher seven Bible verses. I said most people give me one word or one verse, but uh, this is going to be an adventure. The first time I opened this to read it after your pastor texted me, my wife was watching a rerun of This Is Us. Now, I'm not a big This Is Us fan. I'm sorry. I repent. If you are. But when I read it, I looked up at the screen and, I, screen and I, after reading the seven verse, I said, this is us. I get to encourage the normal Christian life. And that's what we're going to learn about here today. James 5, 13 to 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Some translations say suffering evil. Is anybody anxious, anxiety, afflicted, troubled? Hurting? There's a lot of people like that in our world. We'll pray. Is anyone among you happy or cheerful? Are you grateful? Sing some songs. Sing psalms to the Lord. Is anyone sick? Let's call the elders of the church. Let's let them pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The Lord would be Jesus here. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. A reference to Jesus' power of resurrection. And if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses, your faults, to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effective, fervent prayer, the supplication, the individual needy requests of righteous men and women avails much. It's powerful and effective. It prevails. Elijah was just like us. He was similar to us in his nature and passions. Yet he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain. The earth produced its fruit. Brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders, if anyone stumbles, if anyone strays from the truth and one of us turns them, repentance and conversion, life change, they turn them back to truth. And the Lord let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. And cover a multitude of sins. Save a soul from death. I get into the Greek and the Hebrew. It actually said sozo, suke, thanatos. And I started thinking of Marvel's Avengers Endgame. That's where they got the name Thanos from, from death. And I just thought, man, even great movies are here in the scripture. What we have today is seven verses that repeat the name and the statement That birthed and built this church. Vintage 242 from Acts 242. They devoted themselves. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Literally the exact same thing as what we're looking at here today. As we talk, you could focus this entire message just on prayer. But my burden today is that we catch the hope and the encouragement that God has for us. To live the Christian life at a whole other level, to live it with one another and in the presence and power of God, in an overcoming way. The three things we're going to be, the few things we're looking at here, is the problems that are listed in these passages that are normal even for Christian living, the the opportunities that prayer brings to our lives, and the prevailing power that's promised in these passages. To have victory, to make it through, to overcome, and ultimately that we have the hope that lives can be changed because of who Jesus is and what he has done. The problems and the pain, it's everywhere. We got a bunch of S's I pulled out of these words. Suffering, sickness, sin, selfishness, Satan and speech aren't in there. Those are truths that are behind the words in these passages that are covered in whole chapters earlier in James. And the straying, stumbling. Have you ever suffered? Have you ever experienced failure, loss, grief, real pain, soul devastation? You know, the straying at the end of brothers and sisters. There is no pain like the pain of a stumbling brother or sister. A straying child. A broken friend who's spiraling into negativity and sin and addiction. Here in the scripture, it says it's normal to be confronted with the worst frustrating difficulties of this life. You know, I um, first experienced some of these things in my personal life, but I, I hear that some of you have served and partnered with Goshen Valley Boys Ranch. When I transitioned from pastoring into more travel ministry and I started consulting, I ended up connecting with Goshen Valley and served as a chaplain and we served as respite house parents and I ran their summer program for four or five years. And I went from pastoring pastors in pastor schools and teaching marriage and family to pastors and, and young ministry leaders to working with some of the most broken lives and family circumstances that exist in this planet. And I began to see the other side. I had to go if if faith can't work, if love can't work. If I can't walk into an environment with this kind of problem, then I'm faking it as a preacher at church. And so it changed our perspective. My father is recently, we helped finish in his retirement a self published book. My father and grandfather were pastors, and we published a book. And of anything that he could publish, he spent the last 10 years and we put out a book on grief how to love people that are suffering and broken, how to love people who've lost. With death, with disease, with difficulty. My father first experienced grief himself when in eighth grade his own dad who was a pastor came and checked him out of school before the last class. He said, you know, for me, if my parents checked me out, I thought I had to go see the dentist. I hope I wasn't in big trouble. I didn't know what was going to go on. My dad was checked out. He says, my, my father said, I need you to sign the death certificate. And my grandfather, my my dad's first experience with grief and loss was to be driven to a graveside funeral service that my grandfather did for a homeless alcoholic that died and had no relatives. And my father, as an eighth grader, stood there at graveside as my grandfather gave a memorial service to a man without a name, a man without a family, with one cop so that my dad in eighth grade and the cop could sign the death certificate. And complete his life. And from there, my father in pastoring, he just said, God called me into the suffering, broken, hurt, hurting of humanity. And he says, so many people are going to lose their job, but the grief industry is a growth industry. There's no end to the epidemic of negative effects from unattended relationships, from the different S words that we popped up there, from the debilitating power of grief. It was Shakespeare called it the poison of deep, deep grief. And my father went on to do about a thousand funerals and memorial services. And so we found ourselves not just speaking at churches, but doing grief share meetings. And I've been drawn into about seven suicides in the last number of years to do funerals and to minister to the families. And I begin to see the brokenness of what's around us. There is nothing that causes us to suffer as much as our own weakness and struggles And the straying, the brokenness of people we care about, and the Scripture teaches us here that it is normal to encounter that in our lives. I can remember uh, since our granddaughter may be born this week. I I remember when our daughter, who will birth that granddaughter, we were pregnant with her, so we did the uh, you know the Lamaze classes, the hospital stuff. In my twenties, I had no clue. Anybody else do that? We did the class, you know, we watched the videos, the classes. I learned the breathing exercises and it wasn't, we were in there in the delivery room and I moved up near my wife and put my hand on her shoulder and I was, I was about to hyperventilate trying to follow my breathing exercises. And I said, come on, honey, we got, we got to breathe like this. And all of a sudden my wife said, ah, don't touch me. And I was shocked. You know, as a husband, I got scared. I did what strong men do. I scooted to the corner of the hospital room. I got over in the corner and all, all of a sudden it hit me. For some reason, my testosterone filled brain thought if we went through these classes and prepared, that the pain wouldn't be there. Classes didn't remove any of the pain. Say amen, sisters, mothers. Amen. The pain was there, but there was a difference. We don't suffer, the apostle says, like others suffer because we have hope, we have confident expectation. We have a reason to be in this, and we know we can be free on the other side to receive the benefits. It changed me when I realized I couldn't remove painless living and painless Christianity. It was there, but I could have it without fearing, without being paralyzed for extended seasons, to have great joy, to trust for eternal rewards. You know, something happens when we go through this suffering and sin and difficulties in life. God wants us to learn that he's our shield and our shelter. There's another whole part of him and his name and his word that comes alive to us in affliction and difficulty. Don't fear, brothers and sisters. God can go where you can't go and his hands can reach where they, ours can't. He has abilities we don't have. Also, don't judge. Elton Trueblood, one of my favorite writers, says, think beyond diagnosis. Life's positive answers are far more difficult than the analysis of a problem. He says it's easier to criticize than create. When we hurt and we're in messed up situations, one of the first things people do in their flesh is they start blaming and judging. We need to open up to God and welcome him in. We don't need to blame and judge. We need mercy and healing. Now, other people, other times we get in situations we just worry. Corey Timboom says, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She says, don't worry, let's trust God, let's seek him. Prayer can now replace that place. She went on to say, after Nazi prison camps, there is no pit so deep, but Christ is deeper still. There's no depth that humanity can go to that Christ can't reach in and draw us out. I want to encourage you, friends. Adversity is one of the biggest issues around us. As I work with leaders, business and And church leaders, one of the things we teach is that IQ is last on the things that you need. We need EQ. We need emotional intelligence to deal with issues, to be relational, to communicate, to listen, to be trusted. But we need AQ. We need heart endurance. We need adversity. Businesses have opened up to what churches and what uh, athletic teams have known. Now hiring practices are changing in modern business. With the interviews, they're looking, one of the criteria companies look for is what have you been through and actually made it through or overcome? We want to know when something bad happens on the job, you're not going to cut and run. They use it as criteria. In other words, most of us hurt and we become unhealthy. You can't avoid the pain and problems is what I'm trying to say. You can't adequately deaden the pain with drinking or drugs or sex or risk. Any, any of these things. And we shouldn't harden to the pain. Because when we harden our heart in difficulty, the first thing that happens is we start hurting others. With the hurt that we've sheltered and buried within us. I want to encourage you, God can work it all together for good. If We love him, we're called according to his purpose. And our God and our gospel can handle our difficulties and the issues of our day, our neighbors, co-workers, the people around us. And that's good news. We aren't left alone. With the discouragement of suffering and straying and difficulties. The first thing that it points to is prayer. It's our second truth this morning is prayer. Now prayer, in seven verses, he speaks of prayer eight times to us. So it's clearly a priority for our lives. And there's great instruction. I would encourage you to use these verses over the next two weeks and coming into next week's worship as guidance for your own prayer life and encouragement for daily conversations with God and prayer with your family. There's so much that's in here. But my purpose in hitting this today is to open us up to pray and believe God with hope and for his power in prayer. It clearly addresses in prayer in these verses who to pray for. You pray for the people in all of the S categories of the first point, And you pray when you go through all of those categories. You know, I can remember uh, prayer is one of those things that we all, I make lots of excuses for, and it shouldn't. It should be something first. But you learn when you pray that prayer helps us. My own son, when he was much smaller and younger, we grew in our prayer life together. He was a mueller, so he loved words, and he loved proclaiming them loudly, and he loved proclaiming the ones we weren't supposed to say out loud. So at night when we would pray together, when I'd tuck him in bed, His favorite prayer was, Lord, thank you, we don't say. Lord, I thank you for this good day, and I thank you that we don't say stupid. I thank you that we don't say shut up. I'll never forget the night that he began to proclaim cuss words in his prayer. Lord, I thank you that we don't say bleep. We don't say woo We don't say, and and he would lean down, and he would peek up with one eye to see what dad's thinking while he's saying them. I'm just trying not to react. Thank you. We don't say, you know, my answer was, son, you know, God knows the words. <laughs> We're getting help for it. You don't have to say it. Say, thank you. Thank you that I can have your word and spirit coming through me and I can have something healthy and positive to say, not something hurtful or misinterpreted. Prayer worked. Even with my youngest son, look at this, the eight F's. This is not my message, but it's expository preaching, so you can find it. You should pray first. You should get prayer from elders. You should have prayer in faith. That means as Christians, we put anointing oil on stuff. We do things in the Lord's name. We say in Jesus' name. We speak Jesus' name. We believe in the blood of Jesus and the armor of God as we pray. We pray fervently. There's times you're weak and you whisper a prayer. There's times to pray passionately, contending prayers, pray with friends, get prayer from friends, prayer confession and forgiveness, following examples. They, they put Elijah in here so we can see an example of godly prayer. That means we pray great prayers from the scripture that prophets and apostles prayed. It means when you meet a brother or sister that has a unique or a special prayer life, we get close to them and we learn to pray. In a different way. And we pray for fruit. You know, ultimately, prayer is not just about us. The power of prayer and answered prayer is often tied to confession in multiple ways. There's a bunch of things that are in here. It says that confession brings answered prayers. It says the character of people who pray sometimes matters. Conviction, contending prayer. It's not enough to pray once. He said he prayed again. Continual prayer. And prayer for people's lives to convert and change. But the confession is the powerful part. Have you ever thought about the Lord's Prayer? The two greatest insights of the Lord's Prayer and His example for prayer life was number one all the pronouns are plural. So I wasn't just praying about me, myself, and I. We were praying family, friendship, church, relational prayers in the plural. The second insight from the Lord's Prayer is, three-fifths of it, is confession. And it's not all confession of sin. The first part and the last part of the Lord's Prayer is you're confessing who God really is. Accurately. Father in heaven. Holy. The last part of the prayer, you're not asking for anything. You're going, yours is the kingdom. Confession. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And the heart of the prayer is, i got some needs. I'm struggling. Please forgive me and let me forgive my coworker, my spouse, my friend. Three-fifths of his example of prayer was forms of confession, confessing who God is, the truth of what he can do, and the vulnerable, humble needs and problems of our personal lives. Oswald Chambers says it this way. He says, we have to learn to make room for God. We calculate, estimate, we say this and that will happen, and we forget to make room for God to come in as he chooses. However much we may know God, the great lesson to learn is in any minute he can break in. We often overlook this element of the surprise of his spirit, yet God works in such a way like this. All of a sudden, God meets our life. We need to make room for God. Phillips Brooks says, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, it's taking hold of his willingness He's just waiting for us to come to him and trust him and invite him in. You know, my prayer life started struggling when I got vocal cord issues. I spent my life as a football coach, a chaplain, and as a pastor and a preacher. Everything I do is vocal. And about five years ago, they started finding neurological damage, vocal cord damage. It threw me for a loop. I used to think I prayed good when I prayed strong and out loud, and then I got to a place that I couldn't just do that. That my voice doesn't last as long as others. That my voice doesn't work like that. And I've had to humble myself, and even looking at this, these passages, Steve was like, I'm gonna have you preach some life messages in the future, but I need you to close James, and I said, these aren't really my verses. I've been very blessed. I haven't had lots of the pains and problems people have gone through because of three generations of Christian family and and some things that God did to rescue me in my young years. And the new construction he did was better than sometimes reconstruction three generations later. And I said, I've struggled in my prayer life. Pastor Chip sharing with you, he struggled in his prayer life, especially since my vocal cords went negative. I've had to learn to pray in my mind. I've had to learn to pray with my lips and not use my vocal cords sometimes. Yet God's there to answer those prayers. I've worked with athletes, and uh, most of my testimonies of prayer happened working with athletes and coaches or happened on the mission field. I've been to about 42 nations in missions, but I've worked as a coach and as a chaplain for college and pro athletes. I pastored a church once in Florida, and on Monday night at our elders' meeting... Someone came and knocked on the front door. Um, we did the elders meeting at our house at a giant dining room table it was surrounded by leaders. And at the front door was an NFL football player, very well known, that had been in our church, and married a young lady from there. And he comes in and he said, I said, why are you here? He said, this is our open week, his arms in a sling. He says, I tore my shoulder in the game Saturday. We've got the week off. And he says the first doctor said I need surgery and to miss the rest of the season, but he said I had a conviction from God that I was supposed to serve Him in a unique way this year. So he said I remembered the Bible said to call the elders and get prayer for healing. And so I'm sitting here going, oh boy, USA Today, you know, the Democrat, the the newspaper locally, they're going to be, you know, what what if there's a miracle healing? What if something happens? Or what if it doesn't? And then they blame us, you know, what if. A, You know, what's going to happen in the media? All that. I'm Pastor Chip is full of faith, right? And and we just came. We anointed him with oil. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him. And all of a sudden, I got this conviction from the phrase after that verse. When I read it, God's promise was to raise you up. And all of a sudden, it hit me that God had wisdom to pray for wisdom for his witness, for Jesus to be promoted in the situation. And so we finished the prayer. I shared that with him, and he took off. He got a second opinion. He decided to finish his NFL season because the doctor said it can't get worse. And on week 16, Front Page USA Today was not about his healing. They showed him strapped up with one arm, and the headline said, One-armed man. He led the NFL in sacks with one arm. Then he had surgery, skipped the Pro Bowl. They won the Super Bowl the next year. And God was able to use him to reach people in his community, to reach players and people around because of his faith and his work ethic and God promoting him through the difficulty and carrying him through it. We had a number of situations like that. Once there was a righteousness justice prayer. I was the chaplain for the Atlanta Thrashers, the pro hockey team here. I guess I wasn't very good because uh, they got canceled and sent away. We lost most of our games. Um. But one of the pro players came in who was, a, who was a Christian and he said, the IRS is suing me and I'm mad. And I said, well, are you innocent? And he says, yes, I think we, I talked to my CPA. If anything, I've overpaid. It's wrong that they sue me. Anything extra I have belongs to God. It belongs to the kingdom. It belongs to the kids in this city to serve the youth. He goes, it's not right, Pastor Chip. And I said, well, if it's not right. We have justice and righteousness, and we have a God of justice. I said, let's agree in prayer. And we take hands and we pray one of these simple prayers. Lord, would you fix this situation? That's my southern. Could you fix it? We're trusting you. Help us. It was like two months later, he walks into my office, beaming. And he goes, here, boom. It was a $50,000 check. He said, the IRS canceled their lawsuit. Sent me a $50,000 check in the mail, and I'm signing it over for ministry outreach. Gave it to the kingdom. How much stuff are we struggling with that God has a miracle answer if we'll just ask for his help? If we'll just invite him into it and say, do something that we can't do, that only you can do. For your glory, for the benefit of others, to honor God, to bless other people, not just selfish prayers. God has something special for us, brothers and sisters, if we'll open up. Next is prevailing power. Prevailing power. I get this a lot from looking at these words. G.K. Chesterton says, there's nothing stranger today than the importance of unimportant things, except, of course, for the unimportance of important things. I love quotes like that. It makes me look at Bible verses and go, what really matters here? I once sat with a pastor that did a mission trip reluctantly to a foreign nation as a college student. And so many kids kept getting saved on this mission trip. He never came home. And I showed up on a break for a week between speaking in China and India. And it was Easter week and I was taking it off to just experience a wonderful environment with all of these ...redeemed brothers and sisters in a foreign country, and then he asked me to preach nine Easter Sunday services on my weekend off. And I was overwhelmed. And I said, I'll do whatever you want, Pastor, if you'll sit at Starbucks and give me insights on how God has done these miracles and the things he's doing. Right? And he starts talking about church and fellowship. He starts talking, all of these words come out of the scripture... Of What we're talking about in this verse, they're all found and what's going on here. And he connected prayer to the work of the church. When I said, it's got to be prayer. Prayer is the answer. He said, Chip, the answer is not prayer. I said, it's not. No, he goes, it's answered prayers. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, in America, we try to pray a long time. He goes, I got people that pray and say, my mom's broken, fix it. My mom, she, they, that's the southern word. They say, well, who knows what they say in the Philippines and in Thailand? I mean, but mom, help her. This person's addicted, free them. This person's depre- depressed, bring peace and healing. This person's dying, do something in Jesus' name. They pray sentence prayers and God answers them. And then everyone who's affected by the answer of prayer comes to Jesus and comes to church. And sometimes I think we, we try to pray too long and too strong rather than just straight from the heart. Where prevailing power puts us into God's power and God's people. The church is the called out ones. We, have a, we are a people in a place where there's leadership, there's ministry, help, there's faith, there's lordship. There's power in these words. It avails much. It overcomes. There's wholeness and forgiveness. The salvation words in here are sozo. For wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Encouragement, healing. Friends, we've got heroes and testimonies. In here we have changed lives. We don't have to go through the mess and believe someone can't be changed. Were you changed? I was a mess. I was a mess a few times. I was a mess in the early years of ministry. He changed me. He can change anyone. Because of his prevailing power. There's there's Greek words in here. Yeshua is used. uh, It's one of the two words for availing power, prevailing power. The second in the New Testament is Nikio, sometimes connected to our view of Nike. Here's the difference. The word that's used in here connects to the other. The, The word here for availing speaks of ability, can do to accomplish things, but it's it's overcoming, availing power within us to make us whole, to accomplish a task. The Nikeo overcoming, prevailing is about an outward battle, a victory in football, winning a war on a field, overcoming an outside enemy. In this passage, he's talking about more important than your outside enemy is me doing the work of the finished work of the cross within your soul and your spirit. Doing it in here to make you whole, to bring peace. It's the same word, this avail, prevail, as I can do all things through Christ. I have the ability, the power to accomplish the task, to do the work. We can't say, I can't do it. I can't handle it. In Christ, with his promises, we can. And of course, there's such contention words. All of these words that are a part of the prayer and power of this verse... They're all conflict, cosmic conflict, spiritual warfare terms. I mean, the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against us as his people. We speak of faith in here, prayers of faith. This is the victory that overcomes, that conquers, that prevails. Even our faith, our trust in who he is and what he finished at the cross. And that what he said is true for me, right where I am, in my life and circumstances right now. The cross is the conflict. The greatest warfare, the greatest battle other than the birthing of Christ was this battle over the cross when you read the New Testament of the contention and conflict. And Jesus won the victory that we can receive for forgiveness and healing. And there's always a battle in the human soul for godly relationships. There's always a conflict from us growing to be the husband and wife and the united family That God is gracing and drawing us to. To live in real relationship with brothers and sisters. This lordship is the key to the prevailing and the power in here. It speaks of the Lord twice. And we don't have to be confused. The Lord is the Lord Jesus. The apostle is giving his doctrine. He opens in chapter 1 verse 1. And he speaks of being a servant. A slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. So ultimately lordship is about Jesus. Jesus. Praying in his name, praying his victory, about using the power of Jesus' word in things. Jesus is Lord, is the emphasis of the Bible. It means he's already king. He's already conquered. He's already over all the conflicts in our life and can pull us into the peace and the rest and the victory that he has accomplished for us. I like to look at the truths of that. I once got frustrated at a Christian bookstore. I couldn't find a good book. I've still got about five minutes, don't I? I get mad at bookstores when there's nothing good. So I took down the topics. I took down nine topics that had whole bookshelves as subject matter in this bookstore I was getting mad at. And I went home with my Strong's Concordance and I looked up every reference in the Bible that could be connected to those ideas and truths. And I found 350 Bible verses. And then I decided to look up lordship, kingdom, majesty, worship. There was one other one. The lordship kingdom terms. Just five of them. I found them in the Bible 20,000 times. What do you think God was trying to communicate to us? 20,000 times compared to the topic. The power of everything we know is because of the power of him as Lord being in the midst of it that's the power we're invited into and that power puts us together with brothers and sisters so that in all things the first commandment can be first place so that Jesus would have the preeminence and the supremacy you know they put first the preeminence and supremacy in all things see we don't think like that we're linear believers in our western civilization so we go yeah i've got god here And then i've got my family or my job or you know we do this little thing that's not lordship It's not lordship to go, I put God in this pocket and then I have other things that matter. Lordship is, he's lord of my life and my soul. He's lord of my family. He's lord of my work. He's lord of my money. Any category you can put up there, he's over and in and through all of it. That's lordship. It's such a powerful thing to let him in the middle of everything, to outgrow it. And then he connects us to each other. To be a part of what he is in a bigger sense in the body. And that's where this fellowship All through these verses, it says, among you. The world does everything over you, but the body, it's all about being among you, doing this one to another in fellowship. The greatest power and promises in the Bible, other than connected to the Lord and God's names, are plural promises. Plural pronouns. They're not for me. They're not for you. They're for us together. To share this life. To live it together. The end of this message is... To me, is simple. The end of this message is that there are prodigals around us, wandering wayward, straying, stumbling brothers and sisters. Some of us may be them. Some of them are people we care about or people that used to sit by you and hear. Jesus tells us in Matthew twenty-two, twenty-nine. 29, the reason why you have these issues of error. It says you err... You're mistaken and wrong because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When we get into the word of God and we trust and receive his power and his presence, it changes our lives and it grows us to be more like him. And so ultimately we, we can be wayward and wasteful like the prodigal sons. And it doesn't matter. You can be on one extreme or the other. You can be the rioting partier or you can be the overrighteous religious zealot, religious pride. You can be liberal or conservative in your extremes, and it can be so unhealthy. And yet, God wants to meet us and change our life forgiven, saved, healed, freed, forever transformed. That's what these passages say. And it says, if we will reach those wandering, People that we care about. You know what happens? There's a promise in here. It will not only save them from the Avengers evil guy death. It will cover a multitude of sins. It will cover and remove the past sins of that wandering sinful addicted friend or family member. But you know what else? It frees them from their present sins. It means instead of being an addiction and depression and the mess right here. It means they can have life and peace. It means they can have love and connection, fulfillment and relationship. Cover a multitude of sins. What if we go after a straying brother and sister and believe that God will answer the prayer and that our care and communication, God could use it to change them. Their kids and their grandkids could be different. Think of the multitude of sins. If they lived wayward, sinful and selfish and died in an early death, And left devastation in their home. Left devastation to to their neighbors. And devastation to generations. Or God could live in the middle of it. And restore and forgive and redeem. And let generational blessings be our part. You may be the first in your entire family line to be here in church and trusting Jesus. God's thinking of your kids and your grandkids. He's thinking of your neighbors and your co-workers. He's thinking of the person next to you. And the person that could be next to you this is us i saw my second episode after titling this this week that i paid attention to this week's episode the uncle bound in alcoholism vietnam issues depression anger about in front of the judge and he goes i was broken i was suffering he says i was sick And when you're sick, you have to let the people who care about you help. And then he turns, uh, Kevin turns to his girlfriend, going through a divorce, all the mess that's, that's going on and her addictions and alcoholism. And she says, this was my issue in the Marine Corps. I found friendship and community and I come home and I'm lost and don't know how to relate to people. Friends, the whole purpose of this message is to say, God has what you need if you'll ask him. And the rest of the answers are in the people that surround you in this room and people that are trusting him that you can go to and say, help me. Pray for me. Let's have something different happen. As I close this minute, I'm going to bring up an old reference. But I used to tell my mom I was sick to get out of school in elementary. And sometimes she'd let me stay home and have chicken soup on the couch and watch The prices Right. You may not know what the price is right is, but my favorite part was when they called out a name. And someone would go, ah, and they'd run down. Y'all ever see that? And I once was at this missions conference, and this guy said, I discovered something about prayer. If I'll go into the darkness and into the difficulty, the devastation of human lives, the, the unbelieving, that there's no way God. And I walk into that darkness, and I invite him in. The Holy Spirit from heaven, the angels of God, he goes, it's like the price is right. You just go, I can't handle this. Would you? It's like, ah! You've got angels just spring into action. The Holy Spirit's running circles around you. They come running in the house. They go into every room screaming. And you're not alone. And then He connects you to friends and you can get it through the issues or overcome it. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. That you have invited us to a real and normal Christian life that is all about you and allows us to be us, your body, your family, your church, your community. God, would you smile over us this morning, the smile of your face and the kiss of your presence. And Holy Spirit, would you convince us of the truth that you have shared this morning that's for each one of us. That we would come to you, we would go to family, we would come to this altar, and we would ask help for friends. And that we would be changed, and they would be changed, and we would never be the same. We trust you in Jesus' name.